Father God, we are so thankful that you have made us your friends so that we can come to you in prayer, giving voice to our needs, knowing with confidence that you hear them and that you answer. Lord, we confess that often prayer is not the first thing we do when things come up because we are faithless and afraid. We ask for your forgiveness and for your help as we hear your invitation now to approach your throne of grace. Lord, we have a lot of needs in our body. Many of us here are struggling with health issues, family tensions, anxiety, heartaches, and griefs. We ask that you minister to those members who are walking through these valleys of shadow and of death. Remind them that you are walking closely with them, well acquainted with sorrow, and well able to comfort us with your presence. Some of us are dealing with complex problems and stressful circumstances, Lord. We ask that you give them peace and wisdom and answers, and if not right away, then the faith and the perspective to keep depending on you and surrendering to your ways. Lord, we ask for your grace upon our elders as they continue to discern your will as leaders of our church. We thank you for their labor of love, and we ask that you would give them insight and understanding, protection from discouragements, and the courage of faith. We ask that they would be united in their love for you and their love for your people. We also pray for our pastors as they shepherd us and teach us from your word. We pray that you would renew them and strengthen them in their spirits so that they may continue to train and equip us for the work of ministry to one another. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of prayer and that somehow by your grace, our words and even our groans can move your heart to do your good and perfect will. We thank you for this grace. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in prayer, in answer to the prayers of many. Eugene, please come and share with us. It's been a while since my wife and I were able to share a platform here. Um, but as Heading shared with us <clears throat> at the beginning of our service, today is the Sunday after Ascension Day. And of course, Ascension Day is observed on the 40th day after Resurrection Sunday. On that day and the following Sunday, we remember that after rising from the dead, Christ ascended to the right hand of God the position of greatest power 
and authority in heaven. And that, of course, raises the question, what is Christ doing there? In his letter to the Roman believers, the Apostle Paul said that, among other things, Christ is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Christ is praying for us, which implies that when we pray, we are entering into communion with Christ. When we pray, we are participating in this activity that he is already engaged in. We are reconnecting with his reality. And as we said last week, this is what prayer is ultimately about, reorienting ourselves around Christ. Prayer isn't just about handing God a list of wants, needs, and to-dos. Prayer is a practice by which we reawaken to the reality of Christ and his return. This reawakening is what Paul had in mind when he commanded the Colossian believers to devote themselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Paul challenged the Colossian believers to center themselves around the reality of Christ and his return in prayer. This is what prayer is about. But isn't it also kind of about telling God what we want? Isn't it kind of also about telling God what we need? Isn't it also about asking God to do things for us, things we can't do on our own? After all, didn't Paul himself command the Philippian believers Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. When I was an intern at a college campus church, I met with our pastor frequently for one-on-one discipleship. For one of our meetings, we decided to go out for lunch to a place uh, in our college town. And like most college towns, parking in ours was very limited. We must have circled the block where the restaurant was two or three times without finding a spot. Frustrated and a little bit desperate, I started praying aloud, oh God, please give us a parking spot. My pastor turned and looked at me. Eugene, he said, God, the king of the universe and creator of all things, did not descend from heaven to earth, incarnate as a human, die on the cross, rise from the dead, and ascend to the right hand of God just to give us a parking spot. But it never hurts to ask. It certainly never does, brothers and sisters. Yes, prayer is about reawakening to the reality of Christ and his return. But yes, it is also about presenting our requests to God, whatever those requests may be. There's no request too big or too small to bring to the king of the universe and creator of all things who came to us and is coming again. That being said, if we are indeed awake to the reality of Christ and his return, then it is only natural for the content of our prayers to change. It is only reasonable that our prayers would expand beyond parking spot needs to the needs stirred up by the second coming of Christ. For example, remember Paul's own prayer for the Colossian believers back in chapter 1. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. We find similar prayer reports across Paul's letters If we were to survey each of these prayers for each of these churches, we would see that while Paul was not opposed to parking spot prayers, 
the reality of Christ's return demanded a rearrangement of priorities. Christ's return changed Paul's values and goals for his life, and thus it changed the content of his prayers. Paul undoubtedly expected a similar transformation to occur in the Colossian believers' prayers as well. And in the following verses, our passage for today, Paul gave the Colossian believers a prayer topic demanded by the logic of Christ's return. Let's take a closer look at it. Colossians 4, 3, and 4. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Brothers and sisters, do you remember the first time your parents asked for your help with something? I do. I was 17 in my senior year of high school. One Saturday morning, my dad woke me up to run errands with him. As we pulled out of the driveway, he told me we had two things to do that morning. Wash the car and get an oil change. Then he did something I did not remember him do, ever doing before that moment. He asked me which of our errands we should do first. My dad, Oki Kwan, PhD in heat transfer and fluid dynamics, an elder of Korean Presbyterian Church of Indianapolis, he asked me what we should do first. He asked me. I was so flabbergasted that I stumbled over my answer. Uh, chain, wash the car. That's what came out of my mouth. By this point, we were already pulling into the Jiffy Lube. <laughs> but I didn't care that I had flunked the test because for a moment in his asking, I caught a glimpse of our shared humanity. For a moment, he bridged the gap I imagined separating us and he engaged me person to person before the great equalizer that is automotive maintenance. He asked me, now of course I'm being dramatic, but sometimes we over-dramatize our relationships with those in authority, especially when that authority is spiritual, and even more when the person wielding that spiritual authority is in the Bible and bears the title of apostle. Ask anyone where they would rank the apostle Paul in a spirituality scale from one to 10, with Christ being a perfect 10 out of 10, and most would reply that the Apostle Paul is a solid eight or nine. And the rest of us are somewhere around the high threes or low fours. This impulse to compare and to stratify is innate to human fallenness. But Paul refused to play along. He refused to allow himself to be idolized or elevated above his brothers and sisters in Christ as being essentially ontologically superior, as superior in any other way besides functional authority. Remember Paul's rebuke to the Corinthian believers on this very matter. I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another. And this is the agreement that he was looking for. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? If we asked him to rank Christ himself and his fellow believers, Paul would probably reply that Christ's infinite transcendence annihilates the 10-point scale, and we are all nothing without him. And Paul would say this not in a self-deprecating way, but as an expression of solidarity with the rest of us 
with those he led and pastored as fellow children of God who are utterly dependent on his grace. So when Paul asked the Colossian believers, pray for us too, he wasn't merely testing them or patronizing them. No, he, was, he wasn't condescending to them from his apostolic pedestal. He was being honest. He was being vulnerable. He was expressing his neediness, and not just his own, but also of those with whom he ministered. Paul typically traveled and ministered with a team. Timothy, for example, was with him when he wrote this letter, probably taking dictation for him. As fellow children of God, Paul asked his brothers and sisters to pray for him and for his ministerial colleagues, and his request for prayer was even stronger than it appears in the English of the New International Version. The request took the form of a participle set in parallel with being watchful and thankful. We could paraphrase the beginning of verse 3 in this way. Whenever you pray, whenever you pray, as you ready yourselves for Christ's return, keep praying for us as well. As you continue watching for Christ's return, don't stop praying for us. For what did Paul want them to be praying continuously on his and his colleagues' behalf? Specifically, that God may open a door for our message. The image of God opening a door for Paul and his colleagues' message illustrates their dependence on God for effectiveness in ministry. The door to belief was locked, and only God had the key. Unless God opened the door, it would remain locked. Unless God opened the hearts of those who heard Paul and his colleagues' message, their message would not be received. No matter how eloquently, logically, passionately, or winsomely Paul and his colleagues spoke, If God did not regenerate among their hearers the capacity to believe their message, nothing would happen. Paul and his colleagues' ministry would remain ineffective. And this is a big part of how Paul was able to stay humble despite his calling to leadership and authority. He knew his effectiveness in ministry had nothing to do with his gifts, abilities, strengths, or experience. The only reason his and his colleagues' message had any impact on their hearers was because God in his sovereignty chose to make it happen. Paul and his colleagues could not make it happen. Their ministry was utterly dependent on God. And this is why it was also contingent upon the Colossian believers' prayers. Paul knew that God listens to and answers the prayers of his people. Though he does not have to, God chooses to execute his will in response to our prayers. Like a father asking his children what he should do, knowing full well what should be done and what he has taught and moved them to request, so God invites us into the process, granting us the dignity of participation. Paul understood this. He was under no illusion that he was sufficient in himself for accomplishing God's purposes. He knew his role was simply to proclaim his message and that it was God's to make it fruitful. To Paul, this is what it meant to be called as an apostle with a capital A of Christ. Simply to proclaim what only God can cause people to receive. As Paul explained at the beginning of his letter to the Colossians, I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you, 
the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Notice the divine passive there. It is disclosed. He didn't disclose it. Paul had received from God the office of apostle. He was charged with delivering God's message to all people. It was in this sense that Paul claimed ownership of the message, referring to it as our message. Paul and his colleagues weren't the source of this message, but it was the message they were called to deliver. And what was the content of this message? Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. The content of Paul and his colleagues' message was the mystery of Christ. As you may recall from earlier sermons in Colossians, the mystery of Christ is the good news that Christ's death on the cross has made it possible for all people, whether Jew or Gentile, to be forgiven of their sins and reconciled to God. The mystery of Christ is that by his spirit, he can dwell within his forgiven people as they await his glorious return. As Paul put it in Colossians 1.27, God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul asked the Colossian believers to pray that God would continue using him and his colleagues to effectively reveal this mystery to all who listened, whether Jew or Gentile. And he expanded this prayer request in verse 4 of our passage. Pray that I may proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly as I should. Like any good teacher, Paul was concerned with the clarity of his teaching. His goal was to be intelligible to those who heard him, whether that meant using different vocabulary, different metaphors, or different culturally relevant references. He knew he had to work to be understood, that he had to become all things to all people so that his message may be received properly. He knew that there were no plain meanings to what he had to say, and he needed God's help to proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly. The NIV translators use the word proclaim both here and in verse 3, but Paul actually used two different Greek words. The word in verse 4 might be better translated as reveal. It is a word associated with God's revelation of spiritual realities to those with spiritual eyes to see. And so once again, we see a sense of divine apocalyptic participation in Paul's proclamation. Paul was engaged in the end times work of revealing God's purposes for the world and, for their, and their accomplishment in Christ. And I'm using that phrase, end times, purposefully, brothers and sisters. We live in the end times. We've been in it ever since Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father since the first ascension day. Paul and the other New Testament authors saw their generation as simply the beginning of the end times. They understood the truth that they were living at the start of the last stage of human history. And all that remained was for Christ to return and usher in the new creation kingdom of God. And so therefore... For the love of God and in love for their neighbors whom they desire to enter into that kingdom with them, they felt a holy obligation to proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And the New Testament authors, especially Paul, 
We're willing to suffer for the sake of this holy obligation. Pray for us, too, that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. As you may recall, Paul was under arrest when he wrote this letter, and his chains were not figurative. Yet he was not discouraged by them. Rather, he saw his imprisonment as an opportunity to share the gospel with the guards and with others he encountered while under arrest. The mission did not end with his imprisonment. He was convinced that whether by letter or in person, his ministry would continue, that the mission itself would continue. Brothers and sisters, Paul lived his life on this mission. And next week we'll hear his invitation to join him on this mission. But for now, let's reflect on his approach to leadership in this mission. Beloved Christian author Henry Nouwen observed that most Christian leadership is exercised by people who do not know how to develop healthy, intimate relationships and have opted for power and control instead. It is a commentary as unfortunate as it is accurate, made even more tragic by its contrast with the kind of leadership exercised by the Apostle Paul himself. Paul's request for prayer reflects the vulnerability and humility at the foundation of all healthy, intimate relationships. And this vulnerability and humility did not stem from a false modesty or acculturated self-deprecation. It came from his understanding of the truth, especially the truth that God alone could open the doors of people's hearts to Christ. So rather than project and grasp for power and control, Paul asked for prayer that God would do what he could not. But Paul's vulnerability and humility went even further. He wasn't afraid of confessing his struggles to those he led. For example, remember his confession to the Corinthian believers, uh, which Heading read for us at the beginning of our service, or just before the sermon. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. I just want to die. Sounds awfully adolescent of Paul. Many leaders would prefer that those they led remain uninformed about their troubles. But here is Paul, the so-called 9 out of 10 Christian, confessing that he was so discouraged that he literally wanted to die. Paul was willing to be this vulnerable This honest, this raw, and when he eventually made it through the hard times, he was quick to credit those who had gotten him through them. Going back to uh, 2 Corinthians, but this happened that we might not rely on on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul confessed his utter dependence on God for deliverance, but he also recognized that God's deliverance came in response to the prayers of many. He understood the power of prayer, so he never missed an opportunity to ask for prayer. As we've already seen, Paul asked the Colossian believers to pray that he would clearly proclaim the mystery of Christ. He repeated this request 
to the Ephesian believers, asking for boldness there as well. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me that I will, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. In Colossians 4, 3 and 4, Paul also asked for prayer that God would make his ministry effective and fruitful. He repeated this request to the Thessalonian believers. Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. So Paul asked the Colossians, Ephesians, and Thessalonians for prayer for both faithfulness and fruitfulness in ministry. Did Paul ask churches to pray on his behalf for anything else? Why, yes. Even before he met the Roman believers face to face, Paul asked them to pray that he would be delivered from those who resisted his ministry, whether physically or spiritually, or whether outside the church or inside of the church. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. Speaking of being favorably received by the Lord's people, Paul also asked his readers to pray that he would be reunited with them. Constantly traveling from city to city, planting and pastoring churches, sometimes Paul just wanted to spend time with brothers and sisters he knew. So he asked them to pray for it to happen, and they happily obliged. Listen to his request in his letter to Philemon. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Last but not least, Paul also asked those he led to pray for his own godliness and holiness. Listen to his exhortation to Timothy. I urge that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Notice Paul's use of we here. He included himself as one of those in authority who needed prayer for godliness and holiness. In summary then, Paul asked those he led to pray on his behalf for at least these five things. Clarity and boldness in ministry, effectiveness in ministry, deliverance from resistance, edification in fellowship, and godliness and holiness in character. Brothers and sisters, this list is encouraging to me as a pastor, and it is challenging to me as a believer. It is encouraging to hear someone like Paul be so vulnerable and honest about his wants and needs. It is encouraging to see him humbly asking those he leads to pray for him. This list of prayer requests is also challenging to me as a believer, as a member of our PBCC family. If Paul needed the churches to pray for him, how much more do we need to be praying for our leaders? We might no longer be in the generation of capital A apostles like Paul, but God has called people of various giftings and positions to lead local communities of believers. As Paul put it in his letter to the Ephesians, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Scholars have suggested that the offices and titles in verse 11 are arranged chronologically. 
after the initiation of the church age by the apostles, others would have to take over the leadership of local churches using various gifts from the Spirit, carrying on the ministry of the gospel in prophecy, in evangelism, and then in pastoral care of those who accepted the gospel and teaching them how to live as disciples of Christ. So while we no longer have capital A apostles like Paul among us, we do have our local church leaders. And just as Paul needed the prayers of those he led, so do our leaders. Thus the challenge comes to us this morning. Brothers and sisters, let us pray for our leaders. Let us pray for our elders. Let us pray for our pastors. Let us pray for anyone and everyone who holds a position of leadership within our church here at PBCC. Let us pray that our leaders would clearly and boldly proclaim the mystery of Christ, that they would help others to understand it. Let us pray for God-given effectiveness in ministry, that God would use our leaders to faithfully shepherd the believers here at PBCC that he would use them to disciple and counsel, encourage and challenge and teach with love and joy. And just one more word on effectiveness. We're not talking about numbers here. We're not talking about the fame of our church going far and wide. We're talking about people becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. May we pray, let us pray that God would make our work effective in these ways. And let us pray for their deliverance, our, the, our leaders' deliverance from resistance, whether outside or inside the church, for deliverance from spiritual attacks, deliverance from discouragement, deliverance from unhealth. Why? So that they might serve PBCC without hindrance, not just so we can be comfortable. Let us also pray for our leaders to experience mutually edifying times of fellowship with other believers. Let's pray that they have friends who can come alongside them in grace and in truth. And last, but certainly, certainly not least, let us pray for our leaders that they would grow in godliness and in holiness, that they would become people of Christ-like character. Let us pray that their lives would be shaped by the reality of Christ and his return so that they might conduct themselves and lead our church with wisdom. Brothers and sisters, I covet these prayers. I need these prayers prayed for me. All of us in leadership positions in the church need these prayers prayed for us. Now, this is not to say, of course, that non-leaders don't need these prayers too. No, we all need help from God in all these ways. But the need to pray for our leaders is underscored by the number of lives that might be affected should we lack in any of these areas. We don't need any more reminders of how many people can be hurt and led astray by leaders who aren't covered in prayer. Now, to be sure, as we mentioned last Sunday, there is a lot of prayer happening at PBCC. I and the rest of the leaders are certainly being prayed for here, and I'm so grateful for this. I'm so thankful that people here and elsewhere are praying for me every week and some even every day. Without these prayers, nothing I do or say would matter. I fully, fully, fully believe that. Nothing that I say or do would matter without your prayers. And if I'm gonna be completely honest, 
as I was reflecting this week, I realized I'm not even sure I would still be a Christian if I didn't have people praying for me. There's no self-sufficiency in the Christian walk. There isn't, brothers and sisters. But by the mercy of God, because of these prayers and because God answers them, my faith is sustained and my ministry is useful, at least to some people. So I thank you for your prayers and shamelessly ask for more. But perhaps some of us aren't yet in regular prayer for our leaders. Sometimes it's hard enough to pray consistently for ourselves. It certainly takes time and effort and perhaps coffee and croissants to build up a prayer habit. And even if we do have one, there are times when praying for ourselves and the circumstances we're facing, it takes precedence over praying for others. We totally want to leave room for that. But as we come through those times, and as the reality of Christ and his return restores our faith and hope and reorders our values and priorities, and as we recognize the necessity of sharing the gospel and of growing as disciples of Christ, we will also feel the need to pray for those teaching, discipling, and leading us in it. So wherever we are this morning, whatever the state of our prayer habit Let's close our time in the word by applying it. Before we go into a time of communion, let's spend some time in prayer for our leaders. I invite you to think of at least one leader, at least one elder, one pastor, one teacher, one connection group leader, anyone in a position of leadership in our church. And I want you to think about them, and as we think about them, we will pray through each of the five requests Paul submitted to his churches, taking them on for ourselves. And before we do that, I just want to invite, I know you might be a little bit shy about this, but I want to invite anyone who is in such a leadership position, like just to raise your hands right now and to keep them raised. And for all of us in the room to look around, look at the nearest person. If you, if you don't have someone already on your heart, Pray for that person. And again, the nearest person may be behind you, right? You can take a look around, and let's cover that person in prayer with these five requests. Let's all bow our heads. And let's start by praying that our leaders would clearly and boldly proclaim the mystery of Christ, that whether they do this with their words or their lifestyles, whether for children or adults, believers or non-believers, that the gospel would be made known through them. Let's pray for that. Let's now pray for God given effectiveness in their ministry, that as they clearly and boldly proclaim the mystery of Christ, 
again, whether through words or actions, that God would use them. That he would make their work effective so that they might faithfully minister to their brothers and sisters at PBCC and those who do not yet know that they are brothers and sisters of PBCC and the whole body of Christ. Let's pray for God-given effectiveness. now let's pray for deliverance from resistance, whether from spiritual attacks or discouragement or unhealth, for faithful service, for hindrance-free service to the gospel. And in that prayer, maybe we want to include families too, that their whole families would be covered and protected against resistance. Let's pray. Let's pray now for these leaders that they would experience mutually edifying times of fellowship with other believers, that God would supply them friendships and relationships that, that would produce refreshment and renewal in their hearts, that God would give them the emotional and relational support they need to do the work that God has called them to do. Let's pray for them. Lastly, let's pray that our leaders might grow in godliness and in holiness. And this is perhaps the most critical of all these things. 
that their hearts would be known by, to God and to themselves. And that with great repentance and humility, with love and with grace, that they would become clearer reflections of Christ. Let's pray for their godliness and holiness, that we'll be people of character, especially with all the decisions and choices being made, the things that need to be done. Let's pray for godliness and holiness. God, we lift up these prayers to you. We trust that you will answer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Receive now this benediction. As you go from this place, may the prayers of your brothers and sisters carry you into this world as the Lord our God answers them for your good and for his glory. And may we participate in this beautiful work of God, lifting up our own prayers, especially for those charged with leadership. Be blessed and be well.